0: politicians keep telling us that Islam is a religion of peace. Is that true, or is it a myth? Demographers continually emphasize that Islam is growing so rapidly that it will soon take over Europe. Is that a myth or a reality? Religion experts say that Islam will soon become the world's dominant religion, surpassing Christianity. What about it? Myth or reality? For some informed answers to these questions stay tuned. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our Blessed Hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Recently, my colleague Nathan Jones made a presentation at one of our conferences that just astounded the audience. So much so, that they demanded that his presentation be produced in a video album. We proceeded to do that, and the final result was this, a 55 minute video album titled, The Fate of Islam. It contains a sweeping overview of Islam, and it contains some penetrating insights. Nathan begins his presentation with a startling review of Islamic terrorism. In the process he debunks the idea that Islam is a religion of peace. He next presents an insightful summary of the origins of Islam and its holy books, the Quran and the Hadith. He then contrasts Allah, the false God of Islam, with Yahweh, the true God of Christianity. He also contrasts the core beliefs of Islam and Christianity, demonstrating clearly that Islam is a false religion of work salvation, whereas Christianity is the only religion that is based on grace through faith. It is at this point in his presentation that Nathan begins to focus on the goals of Islam. And folks, that's where I would like to pick up in sharing this presentation with you.
1: We will now look at Islam's goals and what Muslims are trying to accomplish. There are three main goals. The goal of Islam can be best summed up by what Sheikh Ibrahim Mudarris said on May 13, 2005.
0: حكمت الدنيا وسيأتي يوم والله نحكم فيه كل الدنيا سيأتي يوم نحكم فيه أمريكا سيأتي يوم نحكم فيه بريطانيا ونحكم فيه كل العالم إلا اليهود اليهود لن يعيشوا في ظل حكمنا. هانئين مستقرين لانه في طبيعتهم الغدر سيكون على مدى التاريخ سياتي يوم يرتاح من اليهود كل شيء حتى الحجر والشجر الذي تاذى منهم اسمعوا حبيبكم صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو يحدثكم عن اسوا نهايه لليهود الحجر والشجر يريد ان ان ينهي المسلم على كل
1: يهودي This is the message that's coming out of the mosques around the world and even here in America that's the message that's being taught. So goal number one, world domination. A Muslim believes that Islam is, of course, the only true religion. Well, good for them, Christians believe that we are the only true religion as well. But Muslims believe Islam is the only true religion and that they must conquer the world for Islam militaristically. So, does that mean that Islam can be coexisted with? Does that mean Islam can be appeased? Well, no! The basic teachings that Muhammad taught his people is that Islam must dominate the world for Allah, just as Gabriel told him. And to do that, all infidels, all unbelievers, must be put to death or be put into submission. Goal number two, Sharia law. Sharia means the pathway to be followed, or in real translation, the path to the waterhole. It's supposedly based on the infallible word of Allah for Muslims. Sharia law is basically a 7th century teaching. It's how people lived in Arabia in the 7th century. Sharia law supersedes all the laws of any nation. So, when a Muslim comes into a country that has a law which says a man cannot beat his wife, well, that's a problem for a Muslim, for the Quran says he can go ahead and beat his wife. Every law that is taught in the Quran supersedes the laws of the host nations. And that's why. When Muslims come into foreign nations they don't integrate into their societies because their laws teach them that they must remain separate. Islam is a very difficult religion for women. Women are very confined. It also has strict penalties. If you commit adultery you are stoned to death. The little boy is in this very real picture, stole something so his father there had a car run over his arm to break it. If you fornicate you're stoned to death. You can beat your wife. If you commit apostasy you must be killed. In other words, If you convert from Islam other Muslims have every legal right to kill you. So, why do so many people not leave Islam? It's a death sentence if they do. Goal number 3, death to the Jews. Islam believes that every Jew must be killed and Israel and Jerusalem must be retaken. And there are three reasons why they hate the Jews so much and lust after the land of Israel. Well, first of all, they believe that all land is for Allah. A portion of the Qur'an states that once a land has been conquered for Allah, it must remain an Islamic land. The Arabs had reconquered Palestine after the Crusaders temporarily besieged it in the Middle Ages, and they had driven them out. But now Israel possesses that land again, and Muslims believe losing any land of Allah's to the infidel terribly offends them. Since the Jews hold that land, it must be retaken back for Allah's honor." Now, does that mean that any peace process in the Middle East is going to work with Israel remaining in the land? Well, no! If if Israel gives more land away, will that bring peace? Well, no! Peace with Israel is not in the Islamic playbook. They must take every scrap of land that Israel owns. Second, Islam is a works-based salvation. The Islamic religion must redeem themselves for losing the land for Allah, which is what the Muslim clerics teach. And third, they have the belief in the superiority of Islam to other religions. To destroy Israel is to take away the foundation of two of the three major religions as they believe. To keep the Dome of the Rock up on the Temple Mount is to declare to the entire world that they are the dominant religion. And that's why the Dome of the Rock is up there. It's a message, it's a flag of sorts that says, we control the world, we have the best religion. Let's look at how Islam has spread, and let me tell you, it has spread like wildfire. Now, there are three main divisions in Islam. First, there are the Sunnis, who number about 80% of the Islamic population. Sunni means the trodden path or tradition. They desire to live a life in the pattern of Muhammad. They elect leaders. They follow the Islamic code very well. Second are the Shiites. They are a smaller group who long ago broke away because they felt that a descendant of Muhammad must be their leader. So, instead of an Amman like the Sunnis follow, the Shiites believe their authority goes through Muhammad's family line alone. And third are the Sufis who are the mystics. They believe God must be experienced. So, those are the three largest groups. So, think of the Sunnis like the conservatives, the Shiites are your ultra-orthodox conservatives. Then there's the Sufis who are like your hippie liberals. The following maps show how quickly Islam conquered the Middle East and Africa. After all it's easy to conquer when you walk into a town with an army and say, we will kill you unless you convert. And as a matter of fact Islam spread so fast that they were on the doorsteps of France by 732 AD and Vienna in 1529. Islam has constantly been trying to take over Europe. Today, Islam stands out as the second fastest growing religion, quickly becoming the largest religion in the entire world, second to only to Christianity in all its forms. Some 20% of the global population, or 1.2 billion people, are Muslims. In the last 50 years alone, Islam has grown 500%. Islamic dominated nations now number 65. Some 1,400 mosques have been built in the U.S. with 90% of those funded by the militant jihadist Wahhabi Sunnis based in Saudi Arabia. So, how did Islam grow so quickly across the world? So much so that the Catholic Church announced there are now more Muslims than Catholics. What growth strategies does Islam employ? Well, there are two. The first strategy, and the one most people recognize in the West, is the strategy of Jihad. Jihad, as stated earlier, means the struggle, or to strive to do the will of Allah. In its essence, Jihad is the armed struggle for Islam against the infidels and apostates. There are 100 verses in the Qur'an which talk about Jihad. Some Muslims will claim, well the earlier verses are more peaceful and those are the ones we follow. But Islam teaches that later verses abrogate or replace earlier verses. In the beginning, Muhammad was trying to get Christians and Jews to join his cause, but they wouldn't. So, in response he fostered a virulent hatred of both Christians and Jews. So, the later verses which talked about killing the Jews and Christians, are the actual verses Muslims are supposed to follow and teach. Well, let's look for instance at Surah 9:5 as an example of the Quran commanding the death of the infidels. Fight and slay the pagans whenever you find them,
2: and seize them, and beleaguer them, and lie in wait for them in every stratagem.
1: Or Surah 2, 191-192 also teaches that a Muslim must kill the unbeliever. And kill them whenever you find them, and drive them out from whence they
2: drove you out. And persecution is severer than slaughter. If they do fight you, then slay
1: them, such is the recompense of the unbelievers. Surah 929 teaches that conquered infidels can be allowed to live as long as they become second-class citizens and pay a special tax. Fight those who believe not in Allah, nor the last day,
2: nor hold that forbidden which has been forbidden by Allah and his prophet, nor acknowledge the religion of truth, even if they are of the people of the book, the Christians, until they pay the jizya, a tax, with willing submission and find themselves subdued.
1: The Hadith also commands the killing of the Jews.
2: The last hour would not come unless the Muslims would fight against the Jews, and the Muslims would kill them until the Jews would hide themselves behind a stone or a tree, and a stone or a tree would say, Muslim, or the servant of Allah, there is a Jew behind
1: me, come and kill him. What fuels jihad? Well, the answer is a promise of paradise. The only assurance a Muslim is given that they will make it into paradise is by killing the infidel. Surah 47, 4-7 teaches, When you meet
2: unbelievers, smite their necks. And then when you have made wide slaughter among them, tie fast. And those who are slain in the way of God will not send their works astray. He will guide them and dispose their minds all right, and He will admit them to paradise that He
1: has made known to them. The Muslim is also taught never to make a covenant or an agreement or a treaty with an infidel. Surah 489 commands,
2: They wish you would disbelieve as they disbelieve, so you would be alike. So do not take from among them allies until they immigrate for the cause of Allah. But if they turn away, then seize them and kill them wherever you find them and take not from among them any ally or helper.
1: Now folks, these are the marching orders of a Muslim as taught in the Islamic holy book. Islam's second growth strategy involves immigration. Now, if you're unable to defeat a people group or nation militarily, then the second best strategy is to defeat them by moving your entire population into the land. Now, what poignant historical example do we have of that successfully happening? The fall of Rome. Rome's army couldn't be defeated, and so what did the Vesigoths and the Vandals do up north? They ended up doing, they just moved on to Roman lands. And pretty soon the invaders were the predominant people living the land, and Rome fell. Now, Islam has been utilizing the same strategy in a very effectively at that. Mumar el qadhafi of Libya once said, Now, to learn more about the strategy of Islamic immigration and Islam's demographics, I refer you to two videos that can be found on YouTube. The first video is titled, Muslim Demographics, and can be found on the Friends of Muslim YouTube channel. The 2008 video was so effective that the Vatican held a special meeting just to watch it and decide if the Catholic Church was indeed losing the soul of Europe or not. It's gotten millions of views on YouTube, and the reason? Because it shows that fertility rates must maintain a 2.11 children per family or greater. Of course, with anything less a culture will decline. Western nations, sadly, are way below that rate. And while Islamic families produce many more children than Western families, so the video concludes that due to the influx of Islamic immigration, and the high Islamic birth rate in a matter of years, Europe as we know it will cease to exist. The world that we live in today is not the world in which our children and grandchildren will live in tomorrow. The second video titled, How Islam Has Taken Over the World, Islamization Explained, is based on the research of Dr. Peter Hammond, published in his book, Slavery, Terrorism, and Islam. The video is quite informative and utilizes modern day statistics to show how once Islam gets a foot in the door, they will eventually end up taking over an entire country. It also shows what that country looks like once it's fully taken over, which is anything but the peace of Islam. Dr. Hammond reiterates that Islam is not. Islam is not a religion, nor is a cult. In its fullest form it is a complete and total 100% system of life. Islam has religious and legal and political, economic, social, and military components. The religious component is foundational for all the other components. The video concludes that Muslims will exceed 50% of the world's population by the end of this century. Jihad and immigration These are the two main strategies Islam uses in order to take over the world. And we're seeing these strategies being played out today just as they were 1,400 years ago when Islam was founded. Even in the United States of America, increasing violence and bombings have plagued our land. Some Americans are converting to Islam and being trained offshore to do these heinous deeds. We are moving up the percentages of Islamic penetration, and there appears to be no stopping Islam's growing foothold in America. Well folks,
0: I told you it was a powerful presentation. And I think you can now see what I was talking about. I think you can see too why it is sheer insanity to argue that Islam is a religion of peace. The truth of the matter is that it has never been a religion of peace. Since its very inception it has been a religion of violence. It did not become the predominant religion in the Islamic nations of the day through preaching and conversions, no. Everywhere it predominates, it gained its power through violence. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to interview a Muslim convert to Christianity named Mark Gabriel. Mark was born and raised in an Orthodox Muslim home in Egypt. He had the entire Quran memorized by the age of 12. He graduated from the foremost Muslim university in the world, Al Azhar, in Cairo, and he became a professor of Islamic history at that university. When I asked him to summarize Islamic history for me, he answered, The history of Islam is a river of blood. And Mark went on to point out that his journey toward Christianity began when he spoke up at a faculty meeting one day and expressed his doubt that the Quran was inspired by God. He was arrested that very night, thrown into prison, tortured, when an uncle of his, who was an Egyptian diplomat, Arranged for him to be released from prison, his own father tried to kill him. He fled to South Africa, where assassins were sent to kill him and were almost successful in their attempt. Mark made it clear that Muslims talk peace as long as they are in the minority, but the moment they gain the majority, they become ruthless in their determination to exterminate. All All other expressions of religion. That's why you will not find Christian churches in most Muslim countries, and that's why any Muslim who converts to Christianity is subject to execution. Getting back to Nathan's presentation, we are left with one central question, what will be the fate of Islam? Is it destined to take over the world? Let's return to Nathan's presentation for the answer to that question.
1: Let's answer the question: Will Islam conquer the world? By all indications, by every statistic, Islam will indeed conquer the world. Churches will eventually become mosques. Your children will eventually become Muslims or die for refusing. That is the direction the world is plunging towards right now. Or is it? I would argue no. Praise the Lord, no, my children will not eventually be forced to convert to Islam. For a few reasons, Islam has an end according to the Bible. Now, one of the things about Islam growing more and more powerful in the world is this, no matter how much Satan uses Islam for evil, God will turn their deeds to good. Well, for example, one of the side effects of Islam becoming more powerful and greatly increasing the persecution of the Jews has resulted in the regathering of the Jewish people back into the nation of Israel. This is in fulfillment of God's promise that the Jews would one day return back to their own land found in Isaiah 11:12 and Micah 2:12. Islam is unintentionally helping Bible prophecy be fulfilled. In Ezekiel 28, 25 God says, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, When I gather the people of Israel from the nations where they have been scattered, I will be proved holy through them in the sight of the nations. Then they will live in their own land, which I gave to my servant Jacob. God is using Islam to force the Jews back into their homeland. In our day the entire world appears focused on Israel right now. Geert Wielders, a Dutch lawmaker, once said,
2: If there would have been no Israel, Islamic imperialism would have found other places to release its energy and its desire for conquest. Therefore, the war against Israel is not a war against Israel. It's a war against the West. It's the war against us all. It's Jihad. And thanks to Israeli parents who see their children go off to join the army and lie away at night, parents in Europe and parents in America can sleep well and have pleasant dreams, unaware of the dangers.
1: How dangerous is it then for nations to attempt to gut Israel of its defensive capability by moving Israel back to its indefensible pre 1967 borders? What will be the end result, according to Geert Wilders? The Islamic war against the unbelieving world would move out of Israel and incessantly attack the West. Israel keeps Islam's fury at bay. Look at this map of Muslim nations, which they're in red. Yellow denotes Russia. Now, Russia plays a big part in Bible prophecy. And just find the tiny nation of Israel, it's in green. The Bible foretells of three prophetic wars that are coming soon, which I believe will absolutely end Islam as a viable religion in the end times. The first, end time war. Which strikes at the geographical heart of Islam is the Psalm 83 war. It's a war in which Israel will have to deal with its hostile bordering neighbors Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, Gaza, and Jordan. This continuous status quo of Israel and these nations constantly getting into skirmishes cannot last much longer. Israel needs to do something about being constantly lived under threat of missile attack. And according to Psalm 83, when this prophecy is fulfilled, Israel will control those border nations and gain a brief peace. The following is what the Islamic map will look like after the Psalm 83 War. The second war which follows is found in Ezekiel 38 and 39. The Gog Magog War is one of the best described prophetic wars in the, all of the Bible, covering two whole chapters. This exciting war will be a major world changer. The Gog Magog War foretells how Russia, Iran, Turkey, all those Stan nations, Libya, and the other countries that form an outer ring of Islamic nations will war against Israel. Israel appears undefeatable after the Psalm 83 war, and so all of those nations combine into a coalition in order to make an attempt to plunder and destroy Israel. Well, what happens? These hordes, these unconquerable armies, well, Israel has no chance of standing up against them. They're doomed. But no, the Bible says that God will make His appearance back on the earth, not physically, but He Himself personally annihilates the invading hordes, so there's no denying gods behind this divine rescue. God intervenes using Biblical types of judgment, such as fire and brimstone, making the armies turn on each other and being decimated by earthquakes. God even rains down fire on the homelands of these invading nations. The entire coalition of Islamic armies, along with Russia, are almost utterly destroyed. And so the Islamic map of the world after the Gog and Magog War will then look like this. The third prophetic end-time war should hammer the nail in the coffin of Islam. Revelation describes the horrific time period coming called the Tribulation. It's a seven-year time period when God will pour out His wrath on the earth. God's judgments will happen while the Antichrist rules as a global dictator. How does the Antichrist rise to power out of the European Union as Daniel 9 indicates? Probably because Russia and the Middle East are no longer world players thanks to God's crushing hand during the Gog and Magog War. And since the United States sat out of the Gog and Magog War, that shows a weakening in the West, likely due to the Rapture or financial collapse. That leaves a power vacuum in the world, and there's the revived Roman Empire right there, waiting to fill the power vacuum, just as Daniel prophesied. We read in the Bible that in the Tribulation there will be four religions. We know there will be Christianity made up of those Tribulation Saints who accepted Christ after the Rapture. Then there's Judaism. The Antichrist spends much of his time persecuting tribulation saints and Jews. There is what's called the Harlot Religion. She's a conglomeration of world religions that rides on the back of the Antichrist, so to speak. She seems in charge, but the Antichrist is really just using her for his own end. True to form, halfway through the Tribulation, the Antichrist gets rid of all competing religions, and he sets himself up solely to be worshipped. Surprisingly, considering Islam's might in the world today, there is no mention of Islam during the tribulation. For a religion that's based on having to destroy one's enemies for Allah's honor, and then Allah loses every single last day war big time, I believe these end time wars are going to gut Islam before the tribulation begins. And that leaves us with the third and final war that should end Islam, called the Conventional War of Revelation 6. That chapter reveals that the Antichrist, after he assumes power, begins annihilating a quarter of the world's population. Folks, that's 1.5 billion people in today's number. Now, if you can't have any other religion competing with you, especially a militaristic religion like Islam, which demands there are no other religions beside itself, what do you do with it? You have to annihilate it. The biggest populations of Muslims in the world most don't realize live in Indonesia and Bangladesh and other eastern nations outside of the Middle East. So, more than likely the Antichrist is going to be spending the beginning of his reign annihilating Islam so there's no competitor to setting himself up as the true global leader. How tragic that 1.5 billion people will die from the Antichrist conventional war. But after that war, the Islamic map will look like the following looking at these three Biblical end time wars I can only conclude that Islam doesn't have much of a future left to it, because the end time signs are pointing to the soon return of Jesus Christ. A Psalm 83 war could break out at any moment, along with the destruction of Damascus as prophesied in Isaiah 17. These world-shaking events could literally occur at any minute. The Gog and Magog alliance of the nations already exists. Europe is so fragile that they are ready for a strong leader to take over. Everything, everything, Has lined up and is in place. And so, according to the Bible, Islam has very little time left to it.
0: Well, folks, you've seen only a small portion of Nathan's presentation, but I think you can see that it is one that needs to be shared throughout Christendom. In just a moment, our announcer will tell you how you can get a copy of the complete presentation. Next week, the Lord willing, we will continue our consideration of Islam and its nature by conducting an interview with Nathan in which I'm going to ask him the following questions Can Islam be considered an alternative road to God, as even some Christians are now contending? What are the differences between Islam and Christianity? And is it possible to reach Muslims with the gospel? And if so, how? I hope you'll be back with us next week. Until then, the Lord willing, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb & Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near.
2: Does Bible prophecy have anything to say about the fate of Islam? Does the Bible offer us any hope? These poignant questions and many more are answered by our Associate Evangelist and Web Minister Nathan Jones and his gripping teaching concerning the role Islam plays in the end times. To understand Islam's goals and ambitions, Nathan takes the viewer into the mind of the Muslim. He reveals they are not crazy, as many Westerners think. Rather, he points out the reasons behind their actions and explains the Quranic teachings that fuel the terrorist attacks and rising death toll. You'll be taken back in time to the 7th century to discover the foundations of Islam, why it has spread so rapidly over the centuries, and what apocalyptic scenarios Muslims believe will prophetically occur in the near future. As a bonus, the hour-long video concludes with an explanation of six different ways you can reach a Muslim for Jesus Christ. To place your order for this $20 DVD, shipping included, please call our office at the number you see on the screen Monday through Friday between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time, or order online at lamline.com. Please consider sharing this vitally relevant teaching with your pastor and Bible study.